New calls today for President Trump to allow for an orderly presidential transition. On Capitol Hill, coronavirus stimulus talks have stalled. We've been unable to get access to the kinds of things we need to know. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Thursday, November 19th, 2020. President Donald Trump's attempts to delay certification of Joe Biden as the winner of the presidential election have reached unprecedented lengths with the president inviting Michigan's Republican legislative leaders to the White House on Friday in an apparent attempt to convince them to ignore the will of the state's voters and select electors that would favor Trump. Even if that were somehow to happen, although it is legally dubious how, that alone would not change the Electoral College victory of Biden. But the president and his legal team, led by Rudy Giuliani, are pursuing other tactics to overturn election results in key states that Biden won. This is all happening as America's business community is stepping up pressure on Trump to begin the formal transition process with the incoming Biden team. The Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Manufacturers, and the Business Roundtable, all traditional Republican allies, say it's time for the transition to start. But so far, the General Services Administration, which designates the president-elect, has refused to allow the process to begin. The consequences affect a wide swath of public concerns, from national security to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which has just logged its 250,000th death in the United States. CQ Roll Call Chief Correspondent Niels Lesniewski spoke today with Senator Chris Murphy, a Connecticut Democrat, about the transition, or the untransition, we might call it at this point. Niels, before we get to your conversation with uh, Senator Murphy, let's talk about what's been happening today uh, in the congressional lame duck session and where congressional leaders are uh, in, in all this. Well, Jason, the news of the afternoon on Thursday is that Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and Speaker Nancy Pelosi are expected to travel to Delaware on Friday to meet with President-elect Biden and his team, uh, the expectation is that certainly on the top of the agenda will be what, if anything, to do uh, in terms of giving any more ground toward the Republican side on the COVID relief in the lame duck, and also, of course, the spending bill that needs to get done, whether it is, in fact, an omnibus that leaders seem to want to do or even a continuing resolution in the first or second week of December. In either case, you know, beyond that, they're probably going to be talking about what they want to do next year. But but there are so many pressing uh, challenges that it's hard to even look past uh, the end of this calendar year, much less to inauguration. You know, we keep on getting sort of, you know, hit over the head with news. One of the reasons that that the Senate went home yesterday was that Chuck Grassley, who's a Senate president pro tem, uh, has has, uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. We've got another senator, Rick Scott, who's been in quarantine. It's made it difficult to even get enough votes to, to do anything, even nominations. And then that brings up another thing to me, like which is personnel, which is I'm I'm guessing that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are going to be talking to uh, President-elect Biden about, which is you can't take everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like we have very uh, narrow margins in Congress, so not everybody can go work in the White House. We, we saw Cedric Richmond. Uh, Join the White House. Uh, he comes from a safe Democratic seat, but for senators, I mean, if the Democrats are are dealing with, you know, a, a very narrow margin or in the minority or majority, depending on the Georgia runoffs, they can't exactly spare <laughs> any, sen- any any senators. They can't lose a seat. No, and and the, the majority for the Democrats in the House is going to be so 
tight, tiny, that uh, they can't even necessarily lose to afford people even from safe democratic seats in a lot of circumstances because you know that pesky constitution that requires that house members be subject to special election if seats are vacated so you know in the senate in some states you could have a democratic governor appoint a democratic senator uh, that's what would probably happen in Maine if Angus King were to become the director of national intelligence. But in, in the House, even in a place like uh, Mr. Richmond's district in, in New Orleans, you would have to go to a special election. Presumably because it's Louisiana, it would be one of those sort of jungle primary situations and, and who knows what you get. Everybody runs. And you have to get 50% plus one. You could have another runoff. It's just, it's kind of a mess. All right. So, you know, that's, you know, eventually we will get some kind of spending resolution, but the, the bottom line is it's not going to happen until after Thanksgiving, and we will not be getting any kind of COVID relief either until minimum after Thanksgiving, even if that. We might have to wait for the next administration at this point. And we're also sort of in this situation with the the outgoing president who still has not acknowledge that he is the outgoing president, where we're not seeing a whole lot of him, but we don't know where he may suddenly appear and interject himself either in his own person or through Chief of Staff Mark Meadows into these sorts of discussions on the end of the year business uh, and sort of the routine transition business. So one of the things that we always have to keep, you know, while most of our attention is focused on Congress and on the goings on in Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach, we do have to pay attention to some extent to what's still going on in the White House, just in case we end up in a situation where the president just decides, I am not planning to leave and I don't like this language in the omnibus and therefore I'm going to veto the spending bill and shut down the government and see if I can actually not be allowed to leave if the government is closed, which is not the way it works, but we have to be open to anything being a scenario at this point. Let's set up your conversation with Senator Murphy. Uh, it, it, it was primarily about, you know, some of the what, what needs to happen with the transition in terms of national security, vaccine distribution. Talk a little bit about that, and then we'll go to, uh, to the conversation itself. Yeah, there was a meeting earlier today by teleconference with members of the uh, Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed, the effort to develop and distribute the vaccine for COVID-19. And Senator Murphy, as he tells us, was not pleased with the Trump administration's complete refusal to provide any information on the operational plan of the vaccine distribution to the Biden incoming administration, to the transition officials. And that's sort of what got our conversation going. Joining us by phone is Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut. Senator Murphy was one of the participants on a conference call this morning with representatives uh, from the Trump administration trying to get uh, vaccines both developed and distributed uh, to fight uh, COVID-19. But Senator Murphy tweeted earlier that uh, they didn't really have any answers for why they weren't um, providing information to the presidential transition of 
uh, President-elect Joe Biden, and do you have any hope that they will change course, uh, Senator Murphy? Well, I do have hope that they will change course, but we certainly didn't get any information today that suggests they have any plans to change course. My you know, guess is that this is way above the pay grade of um, General Perna and, and Dr. Uh, Slowey, who we talked to today. Um, you know, but they have a very, you know, detailed implementation plan for how they're going to distribute a number of different vaccines. And I have some concerns about the plan, um, but I'm sure that President-elect Biden has concerns about the plan as well. And so, you know, the inability to talk to the Trump team about how the vaccine is going to be distributed so that Biden can either implement it seamlessly or make adjustments um, could be catastrophic. And my sense is that the uh, vaccine team that Trump has working on this plan is just following orders, that the White House has told nobody to cooperate with the Biden transition team. And so the vaccine team is just uh, following the direction they've been given until they hear otherwise. Is there anything that Congress can do, that members of the Senate can do, that those of you who are members of the Appropriations Committee maybe can do to sort of move along the transition? Is there any leverage that exists over the General Services Administration or anyone else uh, in terms of getting this transition moving? Of course, there is something that Congress could do. The, the, the very power that the GSA has to trigger the transition is a statutory power. Thus, the statute can be amended either permanently or on a one-time basis. And in fact, we know we're going to be passing legislation in the next two weeks in Congress because we have to either pass a budget or a continuing resolution. So as a part of that uh, legislation, we could, of course, include a provision saying that, in fact, uh, the Trump administration must begin the transition process and open up the books on COVID and national security questions to uh, president-elect. And as you know, Niels, right now, uh, there is not the appetite in the Republican conference in the Senate to challenge the president on this, um, you know, sort of state of delusional denial he is in about the election results. And the final question, have you gotten a sense of how much the role of the vice president-elect, Senator Harris, actually still being a, a United States senator may be a more important factor than a lot of us thought, uh, certainly when she was the selection to be the nominee uh, by, then, by, by then the former Vice President Biden when he was running. You mean in, during this transition period? In, because she gets access to things by virtue of being a senator right. that maybe she couldn't get if she were just a running mate or a vice president-elect otherwise. No, I, I think that's right. I, I mean, she obviously uh, will have access to these briefings, you know, but at the same time, um, you know, we did an hour long briefing with the team today. Uh, and, you know, there is a limit to what kind of information you can get in an hour long briefing. The details of a vaccine distribution plan um, are, are what's most important. And um, that really needs to flow, you know, not through any senator to the Biden team. It needs to flow directly to his transition team that's overseeing uh, CDC, NIH, and HHS. And it is true that Senator Harris gets these classified briefings as a member of the Intel Committee. 
Uh, that certainly is helpful to the extent that there is any you know, very relevant specific national security information that is being withheld from President-elect Biden right now. Uh, at least we know that Kamala Harris has access to that information through the Intelligence Committee briefings. But this is suboptimal, Niels. Uh, I mean, the idea that we are having to create these end arounds to effectuate a smooth transition from one administration to the next because we have um, a juvenile delinquent in the White House. That's really unfortunate. It's tragic. Uh, and I hope that this transition uh, begins in earnest sooner rather than later. Thank you, Senator Murphy, for uh, taking the time. All right. Thanks, Gladio. Now we're going to talk to senior writer Kate Ackley, who's been reporting on the pressure on the incoming Biden administration to ban lobbyists from government service and some of the backlash that has resulted. Every time there is a new White House, that means there's a new big job search. And a lot of those jobs are filled by people in Washington that we like to call the influence industry or lobbyists. Kate Ackley, one of our senior writers at CQ Roll Call, has been covering the influence industry uh, or lobbyists for uh, a a long time now. And uh, she's been doing some reporting on some of the pressures that the president-elect Joe Biden is coming under about how he should fill his staff up. Kate, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Um, Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Uh, Then you're right. There is a big debate going on about who should get jobs in the incoming Biden-Harris administration and whether a President Biden needs to close the revolving door. You know, it's something we hear about a lot going from the Hill to K Street lobbying jobs and then back into the government. So on the one side, you have progressive groups, um, including some of the groups that led campaigns against sitting Democratic lawmakers like the Revolving Door Project. Anyway, a huge bunch of progressive groups. They're, they're really mounting a, a strong campaign um, aimed at the, the transition team, the Biden-Harris transition team. And they want the new administration to avoid even considering people with corporate backgrounds or people who were registered lobbyists. But on the other side, it's kind of prompted a backlash from lobbyists, uh, particularly those who are Black and Latino, who argue that, you know, these kind of blanket bans on people who have had a corporate background or a K Street background, that that could actually impede uh, the Biden-Harris administration's effort to hire a diverse cabinet and a diverse team across the federal government, which Joe Biden and um, Kamala Harris have said it's really important to them that that women and that um, minorities are represented across the federal government. And so what these lobbyists are saying is that, you know, don't just prohibit people who have a, a corporate background, a K Street background, from going in because that's going to be a lot of people who are black, Latino, or, or people of color who didn't have trust funds to rely on, who might be the first in their um, family to go to college, or you know at least people who, who felt like they had to um, pursue those avenues uh, to build wealth for their family. So this conflict really illustrates the competing forces within the Democratic Party overall and the sort of policy and personnel tensions that, uh, you know, the, the incoming administration has to juggle. For sure. And, and you know, we should note, too, that the um, most people who do work uh, in, in K Street or at associations, they typically have spent some time in government. That's what makes them attractive employees to 
you know, some of these law firms. Uh, somebody works on the Hill. They make crappy money for several years and long hours. And somebody says like, hi, um, I'd like to take advantage of your expertise and pay you a lot more money. We've seen a lot of people who could potentially be going back into public service from, from the private sector as well. This is not a totally new debate because in the Obama administration, uh, there was a, a prohibition on anybody who'd been a registered lobbyist in the previous two years, unless they got a waiver and they did give out waivers, but that was their general rule. And even at that time, even without diversity being um, maybe as front and center as it is this year, it was still criticized. It was keeping out people who were policy experts. It's something that that continues to be part of the debate. But what these lobbyists are arguing now is that, you know, it also could impede having a diverse executive branch. We've got a uh, little, you know, about two months left of the uh, of the transition. And this is usually when some a lot of these big hires are, are made in, in the White House and so forth. So we look forward to continuing to uh, cover this and see what the balance is. My, my guess is that there will be some sort of uh, striking a balance or maybe some creative things like, as you put it, like unlobbying. <laughs> the Biden team has kind of signaled that it may take its cues from the Obama administration, which had that two-year ban for registered lobbyists. You can apply online if you're interested in an administration job. And one of the questions is, have, are you a lobbyist now? And have you been a, a lobbyist in the past 24 months? That would be along the same lines as the Obama administration's ban. But we're going to be watching it. We'll see how it, how it shapes up. Awesome. Well, thank you very for your time, Kate. Thanks for having me on. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theaters of Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. 